Chapter Six of the Life of Reverend Henry Martin by John Hall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Martin was much dejected in contemplating the vast multitude of idolaters amongst whom he was now placed. Everything presented the appearance of wretchedness. I thought of my future labors among them with some despondency. Yet I am willing, I trust, through grace, to pass my days among them if by any means these poor people may be brought to God. The sight of men, women, and children, all idolaters, makes me shudder, as if in the dominions of the Prince of Darkness. I fancy the frown of God is visible. There is something peculiarly awful in the stillness that prevails. Whether it is the relaxing influence of the climate or what, I do not know. But there is everything here to depress the spirits, all nature droops. Whilst he almost despaired of the possibility of ever accomplishing any good himself, he rejoiced in the promises and prophecies which make it sure that at some day the true God shall be worshipped there and in every other place, and the gospel of Jesus Christ be proclaimed to every nation under heaven. He was animated by the thought that even should he never see a native converted, yet it might be God's design to encourage future missionaries by giving them his example of patience and continuance in the work. He took up his residence at Aldeen, near Calcutta, in the house of an English clergyman, where, after recovering from a dangerous attack of fever, he experienced great enjoyment in the company of several Christians, missionaries and others, established in the neighborhood. Strong persuasions were used to induce him to remain in Calcutta, but that city was supplied in some measure with the gospel, and it was his intention to devote himself to more remote heathens. The celebrated Dr. Buchanan had left Calcutta on a journey to Syria at the very time that Martin was arriving, and too soon to know that God had thus answered the prayers which he and his brethren had been for some time addressing to heaven for the sending of more missionaries to India. On the 15th of October, Mr. Martin left Aldine and Calcutta for Dinapur, a town on the Ganges, more than three hundred miles distant. He went in a boat called a Budgero, with a cabin fitted for travelling, which, as it is moved principally by towing with poles, does not go farther than about twenty miles in a day, stopping in the evening. He employed his time in studying the eastern languages, in which he was assisted by a native teacher, called a Munshi, who accompanied him. He several times witnessed the idolatrous ceremonies of the people, and made some attempts to convince them of the sinfulness and folly of the devotion they paid to idols of their own carving, and to the river Ganges itself. At several villages on the route he attempted to speak to the people, and distributed tracts. Some parts of his own narrative of this tour will show how he employed himself, and how he was upheld in his purpose amidst all discouragements. October 19th, Sunday. The first solitary Sabbath spent among the heathen, but my soul not forsaken of God. The prayers of my dear friends were instant for me this day, I well perceive, and a great part of my prayer was occupied in delightful intercession for them. The account of the fall of man in the third chapter of Genesis, and of his restoration by Christ, was unspeakably affecting to my soul. Indeed, everything I read seemed to be carried home to my soul 
with ineffable sweetness and power by the Spirit, and all that was within me blessed his holy name. In the afternoon, sent to the Munchie, that he might hear the gospel read, or read it himself. Began St. Mark, but our conversation turning from Christianity to Mohammedism became deadening to my spirit. Our course to-day was along the eastern bank, which seems to have been lately the bed of the river, and is bare of trees for a considerable distance from the water. The western bank is covered with wood. In my evening walk saw three skeletons. October 20th. Employed all the day in translating the first chapter of the Acts into Hindustani. I did it with some care, and wrote it all out in the Persian character, yet still I am surprised I do so little. I walked into the village where the boat stopped for the night, and found the worshippers of Kali by the sound of their drums and cymbals. I did not think of speaking to them on account of their being Bengalis, but being invited by the Brahmins, note, Hindu priests, end of note, to walk in, I entered within the railing, and asked a few questions about the idol. The Brahmin, who spoke bad Hindustani, disputed with great heat, and his tongue ran faster than I could follow, and the people, who were about one hundred, shouted applause. But I continued to ask my questions, without making any remarks upon the answers. I asked, among other things, whether what I had heard of Vishnu and Brahma was true, which he confessed. I forbore to press him with the consequences, which he seemed to feel, and then I told him what was my belief. The man grew quite mild, and said it was chula bat, good words, and asked me seriously at last what I thought, was idol worship true or false? I felt it a matter of thankfulness that I could make known the truth of God, though but a stammerer, and that I had declared it in the presence of the devil. And this also I learnt, that the power of gentleness is irresistible. I never was more astonished than at the change in deportment of this hot-headed Brahmin. October 21. Afternoon, with my Munshi, correcting Acts 1, and felt a little discouraged at finding I still wrote so incorrectly, though much pleased at this great apparent desire of having it perfectly accurate. Though not joyful in my spirit as when my friends left me, I feel my God to be an all-satisfying portion, and find no want of friends. Read Genesis and Luke at night in the Septuagint and Hindustani. October 22. A Brahmin of my own age was performing his devotions to the Ganges early this morning when I was going to prayer. My soul was struck with the sovereignty of God, who, out of pure grace, had made such a difference in all the external circumstances of our lives. Oh, let not that man's earnestness rise up in judgment against me at the last day. In the afternoon they were performing the ceremony of throwing the images of Kali, collected from several villages, into the river. In addition to the usual music, there were trumpets. The objects of worship, which were figures most gorgeously bedecked with tinsel, were kept under a little awning in their respective boats. As the Bujaro passed through the boats, they turned, so as to present the front of their goddess to me, and at the same time blew a blast with their trumpet, evidently intending to gratify me with a sight of what appeared to them so fine. Had their employment been less impious, I should have returned the compliment by looking, but I turned away. 
came to on the eastern bank, below a village called Agadeep. Wherever I walked, the women fled at the sight of me. Some men were sitting under the shed dedicated to their goddess, and a lamp was burning in her place. A conversation soon began, but there was no one who could speak Hindustani, so all I could say was by the medium of my Mussulman interpreter. They said that they only did as others did, and that, if they were wrong, then all Bengal was wrong. I felt love for their souls, and longed for utterance to declare unto these poor simple people the holy gospel. I think that when my mouth is opened, I shall preach to them day and night. I feel that they are my brethren in the flesh, precisely on a level with myself. October 25th had a very solemn season of prayer, by the favor of God, over some of the chapters of Genesis, but especially at the conclusion of the 119th Psalm. Oh, that these holy resolutions and pious breathings were entirely my own! Adored be the never-failing mercy of God. He has made my happiness to depend, not on the uncertain connections of this life, but upon his own most blessed self, a portion that never faileth. Came to on the eastern bank. The opposite side was very romantic, adorned by a stately range of very high forest trees, whose deep dark shade seemed impenetrable to the light. In my evening walk enjoyed great solemnity of feeling, in the view of the world as a mere wilderness through which the children of God are passing to a better country. It was a comforting and a solemn thought, and was unspeakably interesting to me at the time, that God knew whereabouts his people were in the wilderness, and was supplying them with just what they wanted. October 26th, Sunday Passed this Lord's Day with great comfort and much solemnity of soul. Glory to God for his grace. Reading the scriptures and prayer took up the first part of the day. Almost every chapter I read was blessed to my soul, particularly the last chapter of Isaiah. It shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory, etc. Rejoice, my soul, in the sure promises of Jehovah. How happy am I when, in preparing for the work of declaring his glory among the Gentiles, I think that many of the Lord's saints have been this day remembering their unworthy friend. I felt as if I could never be tired with prayer. In the afternoon, read one of Gilbert's French sermons, Bates on Death, and some of the Negri Gospels. In the evening, we came to on the eastern bank. I walked into a neighboring village with some tracts. The children ran away in great terror, and though there were some men here and there, I found no opportunity or encouragement to try if there were any that could speak Hindustani. However, I felt vexed with myself for not taking more pains to do them good. Alas, while Satan is destroying their souls, does it become the servants of God to be lukewarm? October 27th. Arrived at Burampur. In the evening walked out to see the cantonments at the hospital, in which there were one hundred and fifty European soldiers sick. I was talking to a man said to be dying when a surgeon entered. I went up and made some apology for entering the hospital. It was my old schoolfellow and townsman, blank. The remainder of the evening he spent with me in my budgerow. He pressed me much to stay longer with him, which I refused. 
but afterwards, on reflection, I thought it my duty to stay a little longer, thinking I might have an opportunity of preaching to the soldiers. October 28th. Rose very early, and was at the hospital at daylight. Waited there a long time, wandering up and down the wards, in hopes of inducing the men to get up and assemble, but it was in vain. I left three books with them, and went away amidst the sneers and titters of the common soldiers. Certainly it is one of the greatest crosses I am called to bear, to take pains to make people hear me. It is such a struggle between a sense of propriety and modesty on the one hand, and a sense of duty on the other, that I find nothing equal to it. I could force my way anywhere in order to introduce a brother minister, but for myself I act with hesitation and pain. Mr. Blank promised to ask the head surgeon's permission for me to preach, and appointed the hour at which I should come. I went there, but after waiting two hours was told that the surgeon was gone without being spoken to, and many other excuses were made. So, as it was now the heat of the day, I saw it was of no use to make any more attempts, and therefore I went on my way. November 2, Sunday. My mind was greatly oppressed that I had done and was doing nothing in the way of distributing tracts. To free my conscience from the charge of unprofitableness and neglect, I wished to go ashore in the middle of the day, wherever I thought I might meet people, but did not land till we came to on the banks of the Ganges, which we entered just before sunset. Walking on shore, I met with a very large party, and entering into conversation, I asked if any of them could read. One young man, who seemed superior in rank to the rest, said he could, and accordingly read some of the only Negri tract that I had. I then addressed myself boldly to them, and told them of the gospel. When speaking of the inefficacy of the religious practices of the Hindus, I mentioned as an example the repetition of the name of Ram. The young man assented to this, and said, Of what use is it? As he seemed to be of a pensive turn, and said this with marks of disgust, I gave him an agreed testament, the first I have given. May God's blessing go along with it, and cause the eyes of multitudes to be opened. The men said they should be glad to receive tracts, so I sent them back a considerable number by the young man. The idea of printing the parables in proper order, with a short explanation subjoined to each, for the purpose of distribution, and as school-books, suggested itself to me to-night, and delighted me prodigiously. November 8th. Early this morning reached Rajamal, and walked to view the remains of its ancient splendor. Gave a tract or two to a Brahmin, but the Dak Munshi, a Mussulman, when he received one of the Hindustani tracts and found out what it was, was greatly alarmed, and after many awkward apologies returned it, saying that, a man who had his legs in two different boats was in danger of sinking between them. Went on, much discouraged at the suspicion and rebuffs I met with, or rather pained, for I feel not the less determined to use every effort to give the people the gospel. Oh, that the Lord would pour out upon them a spirit of deep concern for their souls! In a walk at Rajamal met some of the hill people, wrote down from their mouth some of the names of things. From their appearance they seemed connected with the Hottentots and Chinese. Passed the day in correcting Acts, chapter 3, with the Munchi. 
At night walked with Mr. G. into a village, where we met with some more of the hill people. With one of them, who was a mangi, or chief, of one of the hills, I had some conversation in Hindustani, and told him that wicked men, after death, go to a place of fire, and good men above to God. The former struck him exceedingly. He asked again, What? Do they go to a place of great pain and fire? These people, he said, sacrifice oxen, goats, pigeons, etc. I asked him if he knew what this was for, and then explained the design of sacrifices, and told him of the great sacrifice. But he did not seem to understand me, and appeared pensive, after hearing that wicked men go to hell. He asked us, with great kindness, to have some of his wild honey, which was the only thing he had to offer. How surprising is the universal prevalence of sacrifices! This circumstance will, perhaps, be made use of for the universal conversion of the nations. How desirable that some missionary should go among these peoples! No prejudices, none of the detestable pride and self-righteousness of their neighbors in the plains. November 9th. Passed the Sabbath rather uncomfortably. With Mr. Blank, I read several portions of the sacred scriptures, and prayed in the afternoon. We reached Sicily Gully, a point where the Rajamal Hills jut out into the Ganges. It was a romantic spot. We went ashore and ascended an eminence to look at the ruins of a mosque. The grave and room over it of a Mussulman warrior killed in battle were in perfect preservation, and lamps were still lighted there every night. We saw a few more of the hill people, one of whom had a bow and arrows. They were in a hurry to be gone, and went off, men, women, and children, into their native woods. As I was entering the boat, I happened to touch with my stick the brass pot of one of the Hindus, in which rice was boiling. So defiled are we in their sight, that they thought the pollution passed from my hand, through the stick and the brass, to the meat. He rose and threw it all away. November 13th. This morning we passed Kolgong. I went ashore and had a long conversation with two men. As I approached more and more to religion, they were the more astonished, and when I mentioned the day of judgment, they looked at each other in the utmost wonder, with a look that expressed, How should he know anything about that? I felt some satisfaction in finding myself pretty well understood in what I said. But they could not read and no people came near us, so I had the grief of leaving this place without supplying it with one ray of light. Looking around this country, and reflecting upon its state, is enough to overwhelm the mind of a minister or missionary. When once my mouth is opened, how shall I ever dare to be silent? Employed as yesterday, at night met with some boatmen on the bank, and a fakir with them. I talked a good deal, and some things they understood. The fakir's words I could scarcely understand. As he said he could read, and promised to read a testament, I gave him one, and several tracts. November 17th. Early this morning they set me ashore to see a hot spring. A great number of brahmins and fakirs were there, note, men professing to be religious, who live upon charity, and note. Not being able to understand them, I gave away tracts. Many followed me to the Bodjero, where I gave away more tracts and some testaments. Arrived at Mongir about noon. 
In the evening some came to me for books, and among them those who had travelled from the spring, having heard the report that I was giving away copies of the Ramayuna. Note, a poem called Sacred by the Hindus. End note. They would not believe me when I told them that it was not the Ramayuna. I gave them six or eight more. In the morning tried to translate, with the Munshi, one of the Nagri papers. November 18th. A man followed the Bujuro along the walls of the fort, and finding an opportunity, got on board with another, begging for a book, not believing but that it was the Ramayuna. As I hesitated, having given as many as I could spare for one place, he prostrated himself to the earth, and placed his forehead in the dust, at which I felt an indescribable horror. I gave them each a testament. Employed in writing out the parables and translating. In the evening, met with two villagers, and finding they could read, I brought them to the boat, and gave them each a testament and some tracts. November 19th. Employed in translating the parables all the day. Finished reading the first book of the Ramayuna. Came to at a desert place on the north side, where, in my walk, I met with a man with whom I conversed, but we could understand each other but very little. To a boy with him who could read, I gave some tracts. Felt extraordinarily wearied with my labor these two or three last days, and should have been glad of some refreshing conversation. End of chapter 6